Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome TTV community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me as always is the incredibly orchestrated Elliot Chibley. Orchestrated like I'm organized or uh, I am I am directed. You're methodical. You are yes, organized. You are uh, you're a planner. Are you but you know I guess that's uh, you are though. You are a planner. You're not a planner like me to the especially when it comes to travel. But you're right. Uh, I think I think orchestrated is a good adjective for you, just broadly speaking. All right, thank you. You're so right. before we get into the episode, this is our travel bite. So I will list off the articles that we have going on. We've got 13 fun articles. We're going to end with some fun ones. Uh, but first. Since we're still in the middle of a pandemic, we're still going to talk about the COVID-19 virus. Uh, travel to Europe could pick up significantly by summer. On the flip side, there are discussions where there are no end in sight, and it may not any restrictions may not be lifted for a while. That is still up for debate, though. And Delta, we'll talk about them, what they did with a few of their seats. We talk about bipartisan... Wow, that's easy to say. <laughs> bipartisan... <coughs> <laughs> Try it again. One more time, bipartisan hospitality and commerce bill gains support of travel industries. So good stuff happening for travel. And then we talk about the race to create a global digited COVID-19 passport, which we've talked about many times. This article goes into a little bit of detail on it. And then how airline CEOs are trying to reduce their carbon footprint. We talk about the CDC and the latest COVID-19 test requirements before domestic travel. We'll go into reimagining travel in a post-COVID-19 world, which we talked about in one of our travel roundtable discussions. But this, since we have a better picture, we have more information. We'll see what that looks like. And we're going to talk about some fewer, smaller articles, like if you're planning to go camping this summer, you may want to plan now and reserve your spot now. Uh, <laughs> there is a little bit of a plane incident over Denver. And we're going to talk about extractive tourism. Yes, we didn't know what that meant either, but we will talk about it later. And then since it is Black History Month, we'll talk about a few memorials, landmarks, historic places that had a, a significant impact and uh, they had great, or I, what am I trying to say here, Bob? They had impact they had some, yeah, significance right? during the transatlantic slavery for yes. 400 years. Yes, And then... The last two articles are fun ones. We talk about electric planes again, and then the recent mission to Mars. All right. Yeah. I'm pumped for the So Mars that's plan. all of them. So we'll get into all of those later. Yeah. So, but before we do that, if you find this podcast entertaining, please consider giving, giving us a five-star review. That is probably the biggest compliment you could give us, and it goes a really long way in ensuring that we get really good guests for the podcast. If you love us then just subscribe. Uh, subscribe and like and comment or do whatever do whatever that it is that you find enjoyable on social media in regards to the podcast. We really love it, and we would be happy to engage with you on that uh, platform, whatever platform you choose. So now we're going to get into, as we roll into March, we're going to get into this new segment, and we're going to do it across every single podcast episode. We're going to introduce a travel tip of the week. So each week, I'm going to very quickly break down a single travel tip in just one to two sentences. Keep in mind, if you ever have any questions on any of these travel tips, we encourage you to send us an email via the travelersblueprint at gmail.com, and I could just follow up with you on additional information for that tip. So this week's travel tip of the week 
is related to Google Flight Insights. So Google Flight Insights has a price graph that shows you general pricing for flights several months out. You can use this tool to easily review price trends for your destination and get an idea of when flight prices may dip. With that information, you can try to book your trip during that time frame. It's really helpful. I've used that quite a bit. I use it all the time. So not, not lately though. No, I well, I still look at flights. I'm like a. I'm like Why do you flight. torture yourself? Uh, yeah, I I find it actually quite enjoyable. But <laughs> in addition to that, we do offer travel consulting services here at the Travelers Blueprint. We offer twenty percent off of flights. So if essentially if you don't want to use the, the Google trip or if you do and still want additional help, we do help people get cheaper airfare up to 20% off. Just go to our website and you can navigate to that. Uh, we also have the, the Traveler's Blueprint video tutorials. It's a five-part video tutorial program. It brings you through the navigation of cities, booking airfare, restaurant and blog research, the general itinerary layout, safety, local nor safety and local travel i'm sorry safety and local norms at your and we're struggling this morning yeah and general thoughtful traveler travel <laughs> uh it, we have it on sale right now for 25 dollars. again it's five parts and this could be incredibly beneficial for trying to learn and understand a new city within the united states it does not have to be used for foreign destinations it still is applicable and can work in in the united states of america so Thank you uh, if you're even considering purchasing that video tutorial program. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to Keschler of Lake Nard Tourism. He is the, our Philly guide. He's an incredible guy. He provided a lot of articles for the episode that you're going to listen to today. We're constantly in communication with him. And if you are planning on coming to Philadelphia or even just had any uh, questions about international travel. He's a guy that is filled with a ton, a ton of travel knowledge, and he's incredibly up to date on COVID and travel restrictions. So reach out to him. He's at Lake and Art Tourism on most social media platforms. You can he, he's often commenting on our posts. You can hit you can find him that way. But uh, keep him in mind and definitely book with him if you do plan on coming to Philadelphia. Yep. So this month we have Jeanette Seha, who talks about cultural inclusivity within the travel industry and within the world in general. Uh, we have Charlie Hammerton, who maybe some of you have recognized his name on overcoming homelessness and mental health awareness through travel with his pet ferret bandit. And then our last episode of the month with Caroline Meli, is she is an experienced strategist on how to have the perfect travel experience. Oh, and the then the, the last episode of the month is one of our travel around tables. So the first article we have this month is traveling to Europe could be significantly could be up significantly by summer. And on the flip side, we may not see any restrictions lifted. So these are two interesting and opposing articles that came out this month, which yeah. I think just goes to show that we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't know. I'm going to try to lean on the uh, the optimism, the optimistic article, and hope that that's the one that actually comes to fruition. And essentially, it, that was a lot of that article was quoted quoting the World Travel Tourism Council, indicating that it could pick up. Again, who knows? We don't know. Uh, with all the different news on the variants, uh, issues with vaccine rollout, we really have no idea. So don't don't get your hopes up too much. But I, again, just want to be optimistic. And um, I think it's okay to hope, just be yeah. realistic. Agreed. So, I mean, it, the travel industry around the world globally suffered a lot. And they're anticipating a V-shaped recovery. I personally think it will happen. What does that even mean? 
on like a graph. So so on um, like a line graph. So instead of it trending up slowly over time and going up and down, it's a V. So it's it, it declines. Oh, so we're at the bottom. And then we're at the bottom. <laughs> and we're at the bottom of the V. And then there's going to be a dramatic or significant uh, increase. And so that's it's called like a V-shaped recovery. I okay. only am familiar with that now because of like COVID. And I look, I've never looked at as, this many line graphs in my life. Yeah, right. Uh, ever, since over the past year. But So is that um, like the 2008 financial crisis? Like the boom, so boom? they said in the article, they said that they did have a V-shaped recovery with the travel and tourism sector after the 2008 financial crisis. And they're anticipating one again. I think that they're correct only because just being in the travel industry ourselves, everybody's just so anxious to hit the road again. The second the doors open, I think people are going to run through them. It's going to be like uh, like oh, Walmart yeah. in Tennessee on Black Friday. People I think I think that's very accurate, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think countries are going to open up as fast as we think they are. I think Europe specifically is going to struggle to open up its borders because of the unreliability and un- un- inability to check passports between country to country travel because a lot of Europeans travel by train or bus and not by flight. So they're not going to be able to check to see if you have had the COVID-19 vaccine. There's an article we're going to get to and in, in that's obviously they're already accounting for that and they're trying to figure that out. There's an article we're going to get to that actually discusses that specifically. The, the only thing I'm going to add to this article before we move on is that I, I see I see travel opening up soon for Western nations, the ones that have the ability to distribute the vaccine across their population, the ones that are actually that that have the money to do this. And they're going to be the ones that America is going to be one of the first nations to travel to Europe. I think if you're living in a country that doesn't have the funds and the the structure to get the vaccine rolled out across the nation, um, you may have to wait a little bit longer. It might not be, you might not be able to get into Europe or the United States as quickly as the United States. Americans are going to be able to travel to Europe. So we'll just have to see and let it play out. Yep. So Delta, we talked about them in the beginning. They're blocking middle seats through April as their other competitors basically fill the entire plane. Bob, I know you're a skeptic on this. Yeah, it sounds great in theory. Like, and, and honestly, I would, I, I love not having someone sitting next to me, especially a stranger during a pandemic. It sounds perfect. But uh, in order to get to that seat on that plane, you need to typically, you might drive yourself, but typically you, you Uber or you take a train to get to the airport. So there's public transportation there. You have to walk into the airport. You need to sit in line. You need to go through security. You need to put your bags on belts that other people put their bags on. You need to wait in line again. You maybe sit in line to get a coffee. You're sharing this air. You get on the plane. Now you're sitting next to people. You have someone across the aisle from you. Uh, is it really doing anything else? Like, is there an additional layer of protection by removing the middle seat? Or is it just um, for show? So I've, I'm personally, I think this is better regardless. Yeah, you have to go through all that stuff. But in most of those situations, you're in minimal contact for a shorter period of time. Right? Yeah. On, a, yeah. on a flight... Yeah. Going to California, you could be on the plane for six hours. And if you're sitting next to someone, you know, that is 27 inches away from your face as opposed to 54 inches, that's a big difference. Great point. Okay. Yeah. Good point. And I think that's, that's all there is there. I'm I'm curious to see. I don't know the actual science behind it to see if it actually makes an impact. Right. That's, and that's sort of my point. Uh, I don't, I like, yes, you're not closer. You're not actually rubbing shoulders with somebody for six hours on an airplane. 
But if you're on an airplane with somebody for six hours and they're now they're 27 inches away, is there anything that says that it's not as likely to be transmitted at that point with that with that duration of time? I don't know. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, All right, so I'm going to let you talk about this one because I struggled pronouncing it earlier. So the bipartisan hospitality and commerce bill gains support of the travel and gains the support of the travel industry. Essentially, the U.S. Travel Association has come out in support of this new bill, this new act presented to Congress in February. This is largely due to travel saw a significant decline of about five hundred billion in spending last year, while almost four in ten U.S. jobs lost in twenty twenty were within the leisure and hospitality sector. So the bill is going to include a temporary business tax credit to revitalize business meetings, conferences, and other structured events, a temporarily restored entertainment business expense deduction to help entertainment venues and performing arts centers recover, an individual tax credit to stimulate non-business travel and then tax relief for restaurants and food and beverage companies to help restore food service jobs and strengthen the entire American food supply chain. So I, essentially what I got from this article is that the travel, the U.S. travel sector will not, I'm sorry, the U.S. Uh, economy will not be able to travel without the recovery of the travel industry. And so did I that make sense? I think I just... Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, so the U.S. Yeah. economy will not be able to recover without recovering the travel industry. Yeah, and this is essentially just ways to help that happen quicker. Yep, and I think I think I saw a statistic that one in ten jobs in the United States is related to the travel or hospitality sector in some well, shape or form. Four in ten. No, one so, in well, one in ten are all jobs in the United States. Four uh, okay. in ten are what were lost. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have to think about restaurants in historic centers close to uh, landmarks. Yes, they're restaurants and they get locals, but you have to consider the tourism that, that flows into those restaurants too. And when you don't have people coming to the Liberty Bell, the restaurant in Old City might not be get definitely will not be getting the business they, they need, even if you have the locals still coming there. And for those of you who don't know, that was all Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, I live area. I live right next to Hershey Park, and Hershey Park is literally for tourists. Yeah, and right. a lot of people that live in the area also go there. But it is still like there are tourism dollars that are completely lost that support the downtown Hershey area. Big time. There's a big overlap. All right, so now we're going to get into the global digital COVID-19 passport. So this is what I was referring to early on when you were saying that, you know, there there still wasn't a way for them to track and make sure that it was going No, to no, no. What they're fluid. saying, when you go, when you travel via train in Europe, there are no passports required if you're traveling as a European Union citizen. So if there's a digital COVID-19 passport, it won't matter because it there's no one to check it. Right. I think... I actually, this might not be the article. It might be coming up in a few um, minutes, but here, let's just go through this one. So, okay, so the the CD. Hold on, I lost my place here. So, so they're I, not I think, recommending a US. They're not recommending a, a COVID nineteen test for domestic travel. I'm sorry. No, I skipped ahead. I scrolled too far on my I, I scrolled too far on my computer here. So go out. Go on. So so this one is basically what we've talked about for almost a year now is that people will have this digital vaccine passport for primarily international travel, right? Like if you're going to another country, 
when you arrive at that destination, you will be checked like you would at any other customs with your passport, but you will also be checked to make sure that you have had the COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this doesn't really do much for domestic travel unless they start making that a requirement when you check IDs. Well, that's that's the whole purpose of this really is. So the challenges that they're facing is creating something universally recognized across, you know, internationally recognized and safely encrypted. And it's essentially going to be have your passport information on there. One of the biggest countries leaning this cause is Greece. So they're they're one of the biggest advocates for it because one fifth of their GDP relies on tourism. Yep. <laughs> and if you've flown in the past year into the United States, and I don't know if this is only if you were a non-citizen, but they were requiring people to use the app Verify, which made the process of verifying you met the COVID-19 testing requirements a lot easier. So you would already program your information into this app. They were able to um, verify it through the app. And, and so I think maybe if you have an app like this, if you have a system like this in place, you can have people walk the trains and instead of you know punching your ticket they also check whatever i, I there's so many variables to this like you know yeah. if you have an elderly couple who's not doesn't have the capability or or wherewithal to do it like i don't know it's well i think some people can't i think some nations can't agree on how to implement it mm-hmm. which is why that article that we discussed in the very beginning there may no, be no end in sight because if there's no consensus on how to track COVID-19 vaccinations when you travel, then the restrictions won't be lifted. I don't see how they let that slip through the cracks. There's too much money involved. I don't know. They, they have to come to a consensus on this or else travel is going to suffer another summer. And that's really what everybody's looking at. I re- no one, no one's ca- no one, I shouldn't say no one cares, but no one's really thinking about travel right now to Europe. Uh, but once May hits, there's going to be a ton of pressure on government agencies and different international, different organizations, tech companies. Like they are trying to make sure we have as close to a normal tourism summer as we ever have had. And I don't know. I'm hopeful, but uh, I, I, as I said earlier, I'm hopeful, but uh, I'm trying to be realistic because we're not going to have full vaccine rollout in the United States until the fall. Yeah, I saw September is when we should be at a level where it's like safe that we've reached. Right. So I I don't anticipate anything happening in the summer for travel. I expect this to be a very similar summer to last year. That's depressing. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, So the CDC is not recommending... Hey, what, what you should prepare for is a marathon. And if it ends up only being a 10K, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it's just so it's just so sad. I, I don't know. And, and we we don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that's not we true. Don't. Hopefully that's not true, man. Uh, all right, moving on. So the CDC is not recommending a COVID-19 test. Hey, wait, you skipped one. Did I? Man, Again, I man. Yeah, I really want to read that article, I guess. All right. So the airline CEOs set are set for a White House meeting or actually did in February. So they they're essentially trying to figure out um, how to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Yep. According to the Air Transport Action Group, air travel contributes to about two percent of global greenhouse gas emissions, which is expected to actually rise over the next several decades as travel becomes more readily available to the middle class. Really yeah, to everyone. Is, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So they're looking, we, we've talked about it before, uh, electric planes. We've talked about mm-hmm. hydro, hydrogen fuel cell planes. Boeing actually created a, uh, either Airbus or Boeing created a concept plane that would be hydrogen fuel cell. And I mean, it's for people that are very much into sustainability traveling is, is a conflict of interest because you want to travel and you want to go see things and live sustainably, but travel itself is not sustainable. Nope. Not yet. Not yet, which is All right. important. All right. Now you can get into the CDC. <laughs> so, and really there's not much to this article. At this time, the CDC is not recommending required point of departure testing for domestic travel. That's something that I keep seeing tossed around in travel groups online. Like people are worried that you're going to be required to, to do that for traveling, you know, state to state. So according to a CDC statement sent to CNN, as part of our close monitoring of the pandemic, in particular the continued spread of variants, we will continue to review, review public health options for containing and mitigating spread of COVID-19 in the travel space. But at this time, they do not recommend that people, well, they don't, they don't recommend people travel, but at this time they're not going to require a test for domestic yeah. travel. And they, they follow that up by saying if someone must travel, they should get tested with a viral test one to three days before the trip, which really hasn't changed. And that after travel, you should get tested uh, three to five days post-travel and stay at home and self-quarantine for the first week, yeah, which was reduced from 14 days. Something to add to this that I read somewhere else is that they're still recommending if you did get the vaccine that you should still get the test because they're still they're still accumulating data on if you can still transmit and carry the virus once vaccinated, even though mm-hmm. you won't get sick from it, they're still trying to sort that out. I think there's pretty strong studies in Israel, which they're, they've like nailed the vaccine rollout, mm-hmm. that transmission dropped dramatically. Uh, and post-vaccination. So, post-vaccination. So it's promising that short, soon, maybe soon, hopefully soon, I'm throwing the word hopefully around a lot this episode. Um, it's all we can do. Yeah, we won't. We won't need to be tested if you're vaccinated, which would be great, but we'll see. Again, we'll see. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that the United States hasn't really been sequencing its testing of each COVID-19 patient, whereas countries in Europe like Denmark have sequenced every single COVID-19 test. Well, uh, what do you mean by sequence? As in they check to see if it's a variant or a mutated version of the virus. So that's how that's how Denmark knows exactly how many cases of the variants are roaming around in Denmark. In the United States, we don't really have an idea. We test 0.3%. We sequence 0.3% of our tests. Interesting. So some of the variants could be incredibly widespread at this point. And we know that Pfizer (laughs) and Moderna's vaccines aren't as effective against the variants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so really short article here. If you are planning to go camping this spring or this summer, which many of you may be, I don't know. I don't really camp that much. Never really done it, but could be nice since you can't travel internationally. To our West Coast, to our West Coast listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, if you plan on camping, reserve your spots now. Most federal state parks require reservation, so... If the worst case scenario, you can't go, you just cancel the reservation. 
that there is literally no harm in reserving it now. Yeah, uh, like without a doubt. Not. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know that that's kind of my method for planning travel anyways. <laughs> As you had to up. cancel two trips. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Uh, but absolutely, the, the demand is going to be extremely high, especially for these types of trips where you have to where you get to go out into the woods and you're by nature quarant- uh, uh, doing social distancing. I love yeah. that by nature. It's never been so applicable. Like, no, it's never been so, uh, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so obviously plan ahead, plan ahead. Demand is high and supply is low. Um, this next one is crazy. A Delta not, plane. Not something you ever want to see when you're on a plane. Ooh, and, and if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the video yet, watch it. So a plane, a Delta plane in the United States, the, the engine burst in the flames and all of the pieces are surrounding the engine broke off. And landed in people's front lawns, in football fields, in these in this town in Colorado, in Broomfield, Colorado. The the video of the engine on fire with no casing, just like the bare mechanics of the engine with flames so visible. Dude, I would have been so scared. Now I knew. I, I talked to my wife about this. I knew already that an engine that a plane can fly with one engine, so I would have had that knowledge and maybe would have been a little bit. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> not as not as stressed about it, but I, I, my wife said she had no idea. She would have thought that they were going to crash and die. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, it was another Boeing seventy seven seventy seven, not a seven thirty seven Max, but still, Boeing's been having a rough few years. Yeah, I've been waiting to get in the green with their stock price so I could sell. <laughs> yeah, I've gone in the hole with them for a little bit now. Um. Yeah, yeah that no. is, it is absolutely terrifying. Like, if I saw that on a plane, yeah, uh, I would be 100% terrified. I think it's lucky that oh my God. the wing didn't, like if the wing was damaged at all, that would be a different story. But no one, literally no one was injured on the plane, but they were unable to confirm if anybody was injured from the falling debris. Did I, you know, I didn't see. Do they know what happened? I, I don't know. I didn't see, I haven't seen anything that actually pinned it something specifically, but yeah, that plane has had a lot of issues, uh, to say the least, and it's not a joking matter um, at all, because a lot of people have died due to safety issues with that plane, so, yeah. uh, like I said, if you haven't well, that, seen Well, that was a different yet, plane. It was, I thought it was, this, which, what the was 777. the 777. Oh, okay. That was the one that, that Boeing didn't. Like the 737 safety. Max is the one that had didn't have the full safety electronic package. They, you yeah, had to purchase that extra. extra for it, which is yeah. just ridiculous. Go. Yeah. All That's right. So name. now we're going to talk about extractive tourism. And if you're unfamiliar with the topic, extractive tourism, it is more about when you travel, the idea is that you support the community with your tourism dollars. And extractive tourism is this notion that it may sound like you're supporting, but you're actually hurting the communities more than you're helping them. You're destroying historical areas. You're destroying the natural landscapes that you're visiting and supposedly supporting with your money. Yeah. You see this all over the world. I, I feel like Machu Picchu is probably a good example of I think this. think so. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. They, they immediately come to mind there. Um but like uh, that, like downtown historic centers in Amsterdam, which are basically overrun with tourists now, and they're catering towards tourists. So the historic character is now changing because of tourists. There, that is extractive there's, tourism. There's a serious push against that now. They're yeah. They're, they're trying to do dramatic things, essentially eliminate their red light district 
and revamp themselves as a different type of city. Because when I talk to people about Amsterdam, personally, I go for the architecture and the cultural experience and the cuisine because I'm, I'm, I'm more inquisitive and I enjoy traveling that way. But anybody else, like the normal traveler, I don't know if that's the right term, but most travelers, when you say, do you want to go to Amsterdam? They immediately gravitate to doing drugs in the red light district. And it does have that reputation, like broadly speaking. Um, yeah. So I kind of get think it. That's, but I think that has definitely started to shift over the last 10 years. For for Amsterdam specifically? Yeah, yeah. because uh, what has become popular is that, uh, not Prague, maybe Prague. Prague is more of, Prague, a, of the Amsterdam now than is Amsterdam. It? That's yeah, that's right. I think uh, my wife and I, if we decide to travel, we're capable. Um, we were talking about just like going to Prague and just yeah. you know, just staying there for a few weeks, but we'll yeah. see. So the, this was a really interesting article that the the author really talked about wanting to transition away. We have an opportunity now with travel being at such a low point where we can change what it would look like after COVID-19 virus ends, this pandemic ends. And he, he talks about the coming of the vaccine apartheid, which is basically people with the vaccine can travel and those that don't have it can't. And then he talks about the work hard, play hard mantra of, you know, these capitalistic countries that work, again, really hard, and then they just go do crazy stuff in other countries. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he's just like, it's a, it's a zero sum game that needs to end and we need to transition away from it. I, I do believe that we are. I hope so. And I don't know if we're living in a little bubble where because this is what we do and we seek out people and articles and information on sustainable travel, thoughtful travel, mindful travel, that we are living in a false bubble. I don't know, yeah. but it, it needs to trickle to the mainstream traveler. Is yeah, I think, still needs to occur. I think individuals like Amanda Kendall with the Thoughtful Travel Podcast, yeah. I think her, her notion and promotion of how to travel is really helpful in transitioning out of that extractive tourism model. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So it is February and February is Black History Month. And we want we found a, a pretty interesting article from National Geographic that essentially uh, identified landmarks that had a significant impact on black history, but specifically around the around the slave trade. The so I, I read in National Geographic, um, it might have been last February, about the slave trade. And it's just so staggering. And it's really hard to wrap your mind around what this was. Uh, yeah. In the article here, they talk about 12.5 million people, mainly from Central and West Africa, were redistributed across the Americas, Europe, and the Caribbean. Yeah. It's, it's Over a that, course of like 300 years, from 1525 to 1866. Yeah. It, it, so black history is American history, right? And I, I want to see this more ingrained in American education. And there's this there's this like taboo to it. Like the, the American education system, and I guess I'm kind of going on a tangent here, sort of likes to gloss over it. Like we acknowledge it. It was bad. And then it's like, okay, let's move on. I don't know. There's not enough. There's not enough effort put into truly understanding deeply understanding what happened here yeah. and how it impacted the trajectory of our country like this is it's it's truly a remarkable um thing that that happened i don't know it, it more attention needs to be put on it yeah well and i think keshler even talked about that in his episode where 
when he takes people on the Underground Railroad portion of his Philadelphia tours, people actually seek his tours out because he talks about the truths with slavery in the United States. And some people seek him out because their kids aren't getting the proper education or yeah. enough of the education that they want. Yeah, yeah. Um, but some of these are in places like Brazil and Mauritius or Charleston, South Carolina, if, you in the, if you're in the United States. I think that's the only one in the United States that's listed currently, but there's uh, Cape Coast, Ghana. There's, Vir- there's Virginia. Oh, Virginia, yeah, Monticello. If you haven't been to Monticello, mm-hmm. I think that's Jefferson's, one of Jefferson's house houses. Oh, okay, no, I have not been there. Yep. No, I've been to Charleston. Yep. I, yeah, I have not been to Charleston, but I have been to Charlottesville. So yeah, it, it's an interesting art of it if you want to check it out. Yeah, the, art, the, the link will be on our show notes. Yep. So oh, yeah. uh, this is your specialty. Go this on. is my specialty, and I really like this one. Uh, it's electric planes again, and we've talked about this a lot. They're getting more groundwork, more of a foundation. Uh, United Airlines literally just ordered 200 VTOLs, so vertical takeoff and landing, Uh and they're typically, most electric planes now are still very small. We're not seeing like the commercial airliners go electric, but like one to two, or I should say one to 20 passenger electric planes are going to be the first ones out there. The first. That's, yeah. So we'll have ones. regional, we'll have regional um, electric planes flying around the, the country. That's pretty yep. cool. So it's very we'll cool. actually see this grow within the United States. Then it'll probably spill over to Canada and Mexico. And then if you had to guess with the knowledge that you have, when the first flight from JFK to uh, London will occur, when do you think it is? If you had to put a year on it. For electric plane travel? For an electric plane to go from JFK to uh, Heathrow. 2040. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a while. <laughs> That's longer than I thought. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the I think they have to they're going to be vetted. It's going to take a while to transition the old planes out. I mean, airline industries they happen slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. New technologies okay. happen slow. I mean, the electric car was the first car. Yeah. It was yeah. It, the a battery electric car was first designed in the late 1800s. Yeah. If you don't know that story, do a quick Google search after this episode because that is incredible. And then yeah. the gasoline car dominated and still dominates. And we're still, you know, 20 years into the electric car revolution and it's less than 10% adoption. Yeah. But this, I think that we've kind of broke down that barrier and I'm I'm anticipating electric cars to have over this next decade to essentially consume the auto industry. That's what I think. I, don't know I think I don't so know, too. I don't have as much information on you, but as you, but yeah. Well, I mean, General Motors, right? They just announced that by 2035, they're going to have an, a fully electric car lineup. Yeah. I, well, I saw Kia release this really sleek electric SUV that really looked good. So they were going with the crossover because the crossover is the most common automobile yeah, sold, right? And it was it just a really nice looking, like mid-sized SUV, completely electric, so... I'm yeah. looking forward to that. I, I, I my next car is going to be 100% electric. I'm, I'm I plan on that. So yep, I, I'm hoping my car. For those of that you don't that you that don't know, my wife and I both drive Chevy Volts. I have a 2014. She has a 2013. We've loved them. Yeah. And I I filled up five times last year. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, now, granted, you don't you don't have a very far commute, but yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Last last article. Tra- we're, this is taking travel on a, at a different trajectory to new uh, heights into orbit. Will. Yes, so uh, the Mars. We landed on Mars, and we, we again landed at, 
again. So there have been dozens of Mars rovers, which I didn't realize until I read a, a National Geographic article on this. They actually dedicated the issue to it. It's incredibly interesting. The the They landed this rover inside of a crater at the base of a delta with the idea being previous that, um, previous delta we should note that <laughs> there is no delta. water on mars right now <laughs> except for the ice with the idea being that when this planet was a watery planet the the rivers carried sediment from around the planet to this crater or i guess regionally to yeah. this crater and the idea is to then start boring into the delta to collect a collection of sediment to then send back to the the United States. And, and basically so, analyzed to see if there were structures of life. So there, the, this rover is holding some of the samples, but it's also sending some samples back on a tiny little rocket ship. It's not going to get back to the United States until 2038, but there will be samples of, of Mars. Really? Silk, yes. Coming back to the United States. Wait, so, when did they send, when did they send perseverance up? Uh, I don't know. When did the mission start? Yeah. I guess. Oh, this one, this one. Yeah. Is that is, um, perseverance? Yeah. yeah. Uh, July. Okay. So they sent so they sent perseverance in July and it landed in February. Okay. It's collecting soil samples. In addition to that, there's this there's this mechanism on it called the MOVI, and it's essentially seeing if it can convert the carbon dense atmosphere of Mars into oxygen, anticipating the arrival of humans and trying to understand before we get there whether or not we can actually change the atmosphere to be able to breathe there uh, at some huge. point. That would be, that's incredible. Yeah, it's, and so it's drilling, it's trying to change the atmosphere, it's taking photographs. It's really this phenomenal uh, human experiment. It's really cool. Like, you know, I'm in the environmental science field. I do a lot of, I I look at soil all the time and and compounds in soil. I couldn't imagine sitting in in NASA behind a computer screen and analyzing soil all the way on Mars. It, it, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's pretty wild. They, they never get to actually touch the soil or see the soil themselves, which is well, really until 2038. Incredible. Until 2038. So these, these, yeah, it'll yeah. actually be coming back. But uh, Mars is fascinating and, and it's a pretty incredible thing. If you haven't read about it, maybe try to dive into it just a little bit. Yeah. Because I in think 30 years, we're going to be rescuing Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, that that's one of the movies that I think Neil deGrasse Tyson said was pretty accurate as far as the science behind it. So that's a great movie. Yeah. All right. That is it. That is all we have. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to support our show, you can leave us a review. You can comment on YouTube. You can comment and talk to us on our Instagram and social media pages. If you want to support us and contribute to us financially, we do have a Patreon or you could buy one of our t-shirts or any of our merchandise, our Patreon. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month or up to $10 a month if you absolutely love us and want to support the making of this show through the software and through the subscriptions that we have to keep it running. Uh, so all we have, that's all we have. Stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>